Welcome to Don't Look Now, the podcast with your hosts, Jenny McDonald and Will Hageman, coming to you this Tuesday, like every Tuesday, with our our fabulous podcast with topics ranging from the weird, the eerie, the historical, the random, the I don't know what. <laughs> Whatever appeals to the fever brain of Jenny McDonald, we are going to be talking about, and I'm going to be trying to figure out what that topic is, because as always, I am clueless and have no idea what we're about to talk about. So... Clue me in, Jenny. So, give me give me some hints here. What are, what are we talking about today? Well, this is key American history today. Well, that we're talking about. All right. Um, and it has to do with man. How am I going to do this? This one's hard. <laughs> uh, a lot of liberty and independence, and right. um, Whitechapel, and. Whitechapel, huh? Yeah, featured in uh, National Treasure. Um, I think it was in the second National Treasure, not the first one, though. Huh. Maybe the first one. I can't remember. I mean, Whitechapel screams Jack the Ripper, but Jack the Ripper doesn't scream American history. So I'm trying to figure out how they link up here. I know they don't, but that was a very actually. What year was Jack the Ripper? I mean, age wise, maybe it was. Yeah, I mean, he was 18. 70s 80s somewhere in there 1880s okay so i'm i'm looking 1700s so it's pre-jack okay. ripper all right um the liberty bell liberty bell first freaking try that yeah, just that's the one thing i do know about Whitechapel is it's where all the bell foundries are so i don't know why we play these games well i should just <laughs> send you a text on what the topic is like because this is more fun i get to feel smart if i actually pull it off so you know you did great on your first times i don't but i feel feel smart now so you know let me just throw random words at you and see what you can come up with. Oh, you picked the exact thing in my head. Yeah, that right. just yeah. is That's great. Because we like weird, similar things. So it's very true. It's very true. So the Liberty Bell, previously called the State House Bell or Old State House Bell, is basically an iconic symbol of American independence. It's located in Philadelphia. And when I say American independence, I'm talking about white people from colonials. <laughs> might as well be clear about that because yeah just cool. real clear we are not talking yeah. about all americans we are talking about those that were breaking from britain right yep um because i don't think that it holds the same value to the slaves but i might be wrong i'll have to ask somebody that's descended someday um but i'm, I'm gonna bet that's a no <laughs> I can't imagine why. I can't imagine why. Um, so it's originally placed in the steeple of the Pennsylvania State House, which has now been renamed Independence Hall. And um, you can go see it. It's it actually is easy to go I, see, apparently. Yep. I have I have been there. We got to we did our little driving tour of the East Coast once upon a time. We hit oh. Philadelphia, saw Independence Hall and the Liberty Bell, and it was cool. Yeah, I have not. Um I don't think I've ever been to Philadelphia other than the airport, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I've now been binge watching Always Sunny. So so that's that's a plus. I, I had somehow oh, it's never, like you were there. Somehow never seen an episode until like the last three months or something. So I've been working my way through. So there you go. They even, so they it's even just have like their you... whole episode on how they got the crack in the Liberty Bell. So 
Well, that's kind of what we're going to talk about today, too. So on the bell is the lettering, proclaim liberty throughout all the land and unto all the inhabitants thereof, which is from the book of Leviticus, apparently. I don't know. Um, and then the bell was cracked when it rang after its arrival in Philadelphia. They attempted to fix it a couple times. Um, and the local workmen, John Pass and John Stowe, they actually had their name put onto the bell for the work that they attempted to do. Um, so early on, it was used to summon lawmakers to sessions and alert people about public meetings. All right. So the story. Um, although no immediate announcement was made of the Second Continental Congress's vote for independence, the bell probably wouldn't have rung in 1776 related to that that particular vote. But bells were rung on July 8th to mark the reading of the Declaration of Independence. There is no contemporary account of the Liberty Bell ringing, um, but it was probably one of the bells rung. Maybe. We'll see. Yeah. After American independence was secured, nobody really gave a shit about the bell until the 1830s. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then it was adopted as a symbol by abolitionists who dubbed it the Liberty Bell. So the question is, where did this giant crack come from? Right? Yeah. We'll get there. I got this. Yeah, but it makes some sense as to like, you know, nobody would have found what bell happened to be in the belfry <laughs> at the time all this happened to be particularly interesting. You know, it'd be like, yeah, yeah it's the bell. But I think it's only interesting because of the crack, if I'm super honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, but yeah, it's just kind of an interesting thing that somehow it became this this deal. So, Well, and bells are like super important to this era of time because there wasn't like alarms otherwise to Mm -hmm. let people know what was going on so think of like paul revere's ride which i was in boston and i could have gone to the place where paul revere did his ride it was only a couple miles and i was too lazy to walk there in the heat yes it's it's a little oppressive it was also getting late at that point but yep um so philadelphia had used bells to alert the public to various proclamations and civic danger since 1682 so it wasn't uncommon for them to ring bells and the original bell would have rung behind the state house. So it would have been outside, not inside. Okay. That original bell was brought to the city by the founder, William Penn. Um, And then in 1751, a bell tower was built in the Pennsylvania state house and they wanted a bell of better quality that could (laughs) be heard at greater distance with how big the city was getting. Right. Yeah. So Isaac Norris, who's the speaker of the Pennsylvania Provincial Assembly, gives orders to the colony's London agent, um, Robert Charles, to obtain a good bell of about 2,000 pounds of weight. Now, literally, we ring this bell to declare our independence, but don't worry, we contacted our buddies back in England to build it for yeah. us. Yeah, yeah you can tell that there probably wasn't a whole lot of like major industrial stuff going on in the colonies when you got to go back to the UK to get your foundry to like make a bell for you. Right. And you want like good quality, right? So, Mm -hmm. so Robert Charles orders the bell from Thomas Lester of London, uh, which is the bell founding firm of Lester and Pack, which is the Whitechapel bell foundry. And they bought it for what was about 150 pounds at the time, which in 2021 was worth about 50,000 pounds or $50,000. Okay. Sorry, I'm converting in my head very quickly yeah. and yeah, yeah. I'm very bad at it. It's probably closer to 45. Um, 
And that included freight to Philadelphia and insurance, which I feel like is a pretty good deal for a 2000 pound item. Yeah. Personally. It's a whole hell of a lot of copper. So, right. So it arrives in Philadelphia in August of 1752 Norris wrote to Charles that the bell was in good order, but they hadn't actually tried. They hadn't tested it out yet, which mm-hmm. how could you resist not testing out a giant bell? Yeah. Like that's rough, um, <laughs> but it gets there and they didn't test it out because they're still building a clock for the state house tower. So they, the bell was mounted on a stand just to test it out. And at first the bell, the first strike of the bell with the clacker mm-hmm. cracks it. <laughs> I I think that there was something lost in transportation. Um, I don't know. But they basically like kind of laugh about it a little bit. Um, so they use this in stories. So Pre- President Benjamin Harrison talks about when the bell went through Indianapolis. He said the old bell was made in England, but it had to be recast in America before it was able to be used because it wanted to proclaim itself as part of self-government. <laughs> so they tried to return it by ship, but um, they were not able to take it back onto the boat to take it back to England. So they just had it. And that's when they contacted uh, Pass and Stowe and had them recast the bell. Unfortunately, they were a little bit inexperienced at bell casting. So they had to go to another neighboring foundry in New Jersey and learn about bell casting. Um, Stowe, on the other hand, had been out of his apprenticeship for about four years. So what they did was they broke the bell into small pieces, melted it down, and then just cast it into a whole new bell using the same um, metal, right? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, as they're doing this, though, they determined that the metal was a little bit too brittle. And so they augmented it and added copper so that it was a little bit less brittle and could hold up over time. So now we've increased the weight um, and the bell is ready in March of 1753. And they added the lettering at that point so that you could see it and, it would, and everything. All the words were a lot clearer on the new bell than they were on the old one. Okay. So city officials schedule a public celebration. They have food, they have drink, and they are going to test this bell <laughs> so here you go when the bell is struck it didn't break yay thank goodness but it sounded terrible <laughs> like real bad real real bad um so what does they, a bad sounding bell sound like they said it sounded like two coal scuttles being banged together <laughs> I don't know what a coal scuttle is, but it doesn't sound good. No, that doesn't sound like a positive thing. So No. And so, of course, the crowd that's there having this big celebration starts laughing at them, essentially. Yeah. And, like, mocks them for it. So they take the bell away again and recast it. So <laughs> now they've had a little bit of practice. And they redo it. And in June of 1753, they tested it a few times. And they were like, okay, this is it. So they showed it to Norris and he's like, I don't personally like it, but it's fine. (laughs) So the bell still sounded terrible. Yeah. And it's hung in the steeple of the state house that same month. So it's unclear what the hell happened with the bell, right? Yeah. White Chapel Foundry was like the bell was damaged in transit or potentially broken by an inexperienced bell ringer. 
who sent the clapper flying against the rim rather than the bell, the body of the bell. Okay. I would just love to know how you get to be a bad bell ringer. I didn't think it was something (laughs) that was common, but apparently that we were scapegoating people even in the 1700s. And also like, wouldn't the clapper be mounted inside the bell already and have the right length? I mean, you know, that was what I thought because I would assume it was like a belt, like the same metal is holding the clapper, but potentially not, I guess. Uh, yeah, that's weird. Right. It makes me think of like movies in Britain where they're pulling on the ropes though mm-hmm. and doing the bells. And maybe those are on a different pulley system in the way that it, I don't know. I don't know yep. the answer to this. All yeah. I know is they scapegoated the guy that clapped the bell the yep. first time. Yep. Rang it wrong, man. You d- It's all your fault. So in 1975, a museum conducted an analysis of the metal in the bell, and they determined that there was a series of errors made during construction, reconstruction, and second reconstruction, um, which all result in a very brittle bell Mm -hmm. that barely missed being broken up for scrap. It is just ready to fall apart at this point. (laughs) So they've just installed a shit bell in the belfry of the new state house. All right. Right. So they found that part of the problem is that um, they used a crap ton of tin Mm -hmm. and Whitechapel bells didn't usually use tin. Like that wasn't something that they used. So it's suggested they made an error in the alloy. Um, Potentially they used scraps with a high level of tin to melt instead of usual pure copper. Um, The second recasting, instead of adding pure tin, they added cheap pewter. (laughs) <laughs> uh, which made a bigger problem. And as a result, it's, you know, really brittle yeah. and it causes it to be, you know, pretty big mess. Um, and it fails in service, but it's really easy for souvenir collectors to knock off substantial trophies from the rim. <laughs> so like, remember how everybody liked to cut pieces of dead people yeah, Same yeah. Thing with this, they would just chip away at it to get what they wanted. Right. Psychos. Yeah, but this sounds like basically the Whitechapel Bell Company decided to rip off the rubes over in the U.S. And like, you know, like yep. those colonists, I mean, even if they figure out we did something not great, they're never going to get it back to us. So, you know, right. Like just and use the shitty scraps of- and throw it in there. It should be good enough. We'll refuse to take it back on the boat. Like, come on. They were very generous in their assertion that they used bad metal okay. and that it was probably an accident. Yeah. Very generous. Yep. So Liberty Bell arrived at the Zion Reformed Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania, September 24th of 1777. Um, And you can, like, it was hidden in Allentown for nine months, um, 17th during the Civil War. No, during the War of Independence. Sorry. So we're dissatisfied with the bell. People are pretty pissed off. So they're like, let's order a new one. Let's get a second bell. Um, and they attempted to get the first bell taken back and to get credit towards the value of the new one. So they order it. And in 1754, they decide to keep both bells with one attached to the clock tower. And the old one was devoted to uses as the house may hereafter appoint. Hmm. I don't know what the hell they were doing with it. And the pass and stow bell was used to summon the assembly was their big plan was it's like a gong. It's time to come meet. Okay. One of the earliest documented mentions of the bell's use like this is in a letter from Ben Franklin to Catherine Ray that says, goodbye, the bell rings. I must go to the grave ones, which I think is the great way to talk about politics personally. 
it was wrong in 1760 to mark the accession of George III to the throne. Um, in the early 1760s, a local church used the state house for services, so they used the bell to summon worshipers while the church was being built. It was also used to summon people to public meetings. Um, but then in 1772, a group of citizens were like, here's the thing. This bell sounds so terrible. Can you please stop ringing it? It rings <laughs> all the fucking time. <laughs> stop ringing the bell. <laughs> so like I said, the bell did not ring on July 4th of 1776. Mm -hmm. um, at least not for anything to do with the War of Independence. There was no public announcement made about the Declaration of Independence until July 8th. Um, and it was publicly read for the first time in Philadelphia on July 8th of 1776. And we do ring bells. Probably not that particular one because no one gave a crap about it as much. Mm -hmm. And it actually was in pretty poor condition, so they may not have done anything with it at that time to try to preserve it as long as possible. Um, and they don't even know if, like, you tried to ring it today if the steeple's strong enough to permit it to ring. Yeah. So you could you could try, but it might be the last time that bell rings. Mm -hmm. And it might fall to all hell and back when it happens. Right? Nice. So let's say it was wrong, though. It would have been rung by Andrew McNair, who was the doorkeeper for the assembly, and he was the one responsible for ringing the bell. But he was absent during the time period, so hmm. probably not. Probably. Nice. So after Washington defeated, um, after Washington's defeat at the Battle of Brandywine, September 11th of 1777, the revolutionary capital of Philadelphia was pretty defenseless. And the city prepared to be taken by the British. And so they were afraid that the bell would be recast into munitions um, and that all the other bells would be as well. So they took the bell down from the tower and sent it uh, on a heavily guarded train wa wagon train to Bethlehem and then to Zion because everything's named after religious places. Um, <laughs> but Zion is present day Allentown, Pennsylvania. Oh, so nice. It was hidden under the church floorboards during the British occupation of Philadelphia. And it remained there for like nine months until they got the British to retreat from Philadelphia. As soon as they get it back, the steeple's in pretty poor condition at the state house. So they have to tear it down and restore it. So the bell was placed in storage until 1785 when they finally wow. put it back up. So nobody heard that bell for a while, which is good because the locals weren't overly <laughs> fond of it. So they placed it on an upper floor of the state house and it was rung in the early years of independence on the 4th of July and on Washington's birthday and election day, three times a year, you could ring it. Cause it sounds so bad. Uh, <laughs> it was also hung up. So you could call students to class at the university of Pennsylvania until 1799. When the state capital was moved to Lancaster, it again rang to summon legislatures into session when they had no further use for the state house in Pennsylvania, they proposed to tear it down and sell the land for building lots. Um, the city of Pennsylvania purchased the land, the building and the bell for $70,000, which would have been about a million dollars in today money. Okay. Right. Probably in today money, it's worth more like $10 million because real estate be going crazy, but yeah. I don't know. In 1828, they sell the second, uh, bell to St. Aug Augustine's Roman Catholic Church, which was burned down by the anti-Catholics in 1844. 
and that bell was recast and the new bell is at Villanova, but that mm. original bell, I don't know. So we know that the original bell came cracked, was melted down because it made bad yeah. noise and then was melted down again. And now we have a final bell that came up, but this bell is also cracked. What the yeah. hell goes on? Yeah. Right. So we know the damage occurred. It's really, it's a tiny window between 1817 and 1846. <laughs> Somewhere. Just don't know for sure during this time period. The bell's mentioned a bunch of times in newspaper articles, but no one talks about a crack in it until 1846. In 1837, it's depicted in an anti-slavery publication, Uncracked. So it potentially even as far as 1837 was uncracked. But in February of 1846, uh, the public ledger reported the bell had been rung on February 23rd of 1846 in celebration of Washington's birthday, as we do. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was reported the bell had long been cracked, but had been put in order by having the sides of the cracked fill. Filled. Sorry. Mm. And the paper reported around noon, it was discovered that the rain had caused the crack to extend and that the old independence bell now was irreparably cracked and forever dumb. <laughs> I think it was always just a little bit dumb, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. So the most common story about what happened is that the bell was rung in 1835 upon the death of Chief, the Chief Justice of the United States, John Marshall. This story originated in 1873 when a volunteer curator of Independence Hall announced that he had learned the truth. The truth. The truth. There's no evidence to support this, but it's widely (laughs) accepted in what they tell everybody happened, right? Other claims say that the bell included, other claims about the bell crack included that it was damaged, welcoming Lafayette to his return to the U.S. in 1824. Maybe it cracked announcing the passing of the British Roman Catholic Relief Act in 1829. Um. Maybe they invited some kids to come ring the bell and they inadvertently damaged it. Once again, what are y'all doing when you're ringing a bell that you're damaging the damn bell? (laughs) The most likely thing, though, is that it cracked sometime between 1841 and 1845. So they've narrowed it down quite a bit. They still don't know really what happened. Yeah. So that first bell called the Pass and Stow Bell was termed the Liberty Bell in the New York Anti-Slavery Society Journal, Anti-Slavery Record. And in 1835 piece, the Liberty Bell um, was, the Philadelphians were castigated for not doing more for the abolitionist cause. So, you know, eventually they get there. Two years later, the journal um, Liberty featured an image of the bells at front piece with the words proclaim, proclaim liberty. In 1839, Boston's Friends of Liberty, another abolitionist group titled their journal, The Liberty Bell. So it starts to really take on this abolitionist tone over time. Okay. Um, the Liberty Bell, it should be noted, though, that there's a poem that, despite the inscription, it doesn't proclaim liberty to all inhabitants of the land. <laughs> yeah. So as much as everyone was using it as that, that was not the intent is basically what it is. Yeah. But that is also what they're getting at with their whole using it is that it should. So, you know. Right. Exactly. Um, but 
you know, the modern image of the bell as this reclamation from the proclamation of American independence came from the writer George Lepard. So he wrote a story called the 4th of July, 1776, that appeared in the Sunday Courier. And it's basically a short story about an aged bellman sitting morosely by the bell, fearing that Congress would not have the, the guts to declare independence. And at a dramatic moment, a boy arrives and the bell, he says, ring the bell. <laughs> I do love these like beautiful reimaginings of stories, but probably not the true story, but it was widely printed. And, you know, the public after very few years, like 1776 yeah. to 1847, you can tell a whole new story and change the whole perception of something. Yep. You, you can do all this revisionist history at that point, right? Yeah. So the story is reprinted into school primers, into textbooks, and that's what kids are taught happened. So you've got this renewed interest in the bell by 1848 due to this short story. So they move it into the assembly room known as Declaration Chamber on the first floor. Um, this is where the Declaration of the United States Constitution was debated and signed. They constructed an ornate pedestal for the bell, and it was displayed there forever. Mm -hmm. um and you know in 1853 president franklin pierce visits and speaks about how the bells assemblizing the american revolution and american liberty and you know at the time you've got independence hall used as a courthouse and it just was really important right so important yes Super just one of those symbol things even if it makes no actual sense in <laughs> the actual use of the bell right it's also used as a courthouse and a lot of um, African-American newspapers are like, it's a little weird that the symbol of liberty is in the same building in which federal judges hold hearings on the Fugitive Slave Act. Like, yeah. doesn't that seem weird to anyone else? <laughs> so February 1861, um, President-elect Abraham Lincoln came to the assembly room and did an, an he addressed as part of his inauguration um, in this room, the, the people. Mm -hmm. And then in 1865, when he passed, his body was returned to the assembly room after his assassination for public viewing en route to Springfield. Okay. So um, that's where you went to go see him. So you could chip off part of the bell and then you could go swipe a button from the president, apparently. Yeah. Because that's what we did during this period of time. In 1915, though, something interesting was going on. Um, the hairline crack that's associated with the Liberty Bell really started to take shape. Um, and that's when people start to, like, really blame who could have, you know, really cracked it. So part of this is that it was on a tour. Yeah. So between 1885 and 1850... It made seven trips to various expositions and celebrations. Um, it traveled by rail, it made a bunch of stops. Um, widely is recognized at this point as this huge symbol of freedom, and it's getting more and more famous every year. It went to New Orleans for the World Cotton Centennial Exposition. It went to Biloxi, Mississippi, where Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederate States of America, came to visit it, and he he delivered a speech paying homage to it and mm -hmm. urged national unity. 
It went to the Chicago Columbian Exposition or the World's Fair. Um, all sorts of fun things that it went to do. And then they hung it back up. Um, and that was 1898. So they hung it up from its yoke in the tower. And it lived there until 1975. And they actually had a guard so that they couldn't chip away at it and steal bits and pieces. Nice. So we know that it had this crack. It had made all these trips. The crack had gotten worse. Souvenir hunters that were opportunistic had been chipping away at it and had deprived it of over 1% of its overall weight. (laughs) Um. So when they had requested for it to go to the Panama Pacific International Expo in San Francisco, they were like, no, we've never been west of St. Louis with this. So I don't know. That sounds like a bad idea. They were worried that, you know, the train would cause it to crack more. So they installed this metal support structure inside the belt to try to hold it together. Mm-hmm. Um So they gently tap it with wooden mallets to produce sounds to transmit it as far as they can. And Hmm. so that they opened it over um, the phone service so people can still hear it. Hmm. It's weird. Um, They did take it to (laughs) the show, though, and potentially two million people saw it. And because we can't chip away and steal bits and pieces of it, we kissed it. Oh, nice. That it's like uh what's the in the the thing the stone you the blarney stone that you kiss yeah i guess they thought it was good luck um and then they took a different route on the way home and five million people saw it on the way home so lots and lots of people got to see it um since it was returned to philadelphia it's only been moved outside of the building five times three for patriotic patriotic observances after world war one and twice um, when it moved to new homes in 76 and 2003. So, yeah, Chicago wanted to own it, <laughs> but they did not. I guess why would Chicago? <laughs> That's weird. Eh. Well, apparently they wanted to have it, and so did San Francisco. I'm sure for the World's Fairs was what yeah. it originally started. And then they were like, well, why can't we just keep it closer so everyone can see it? Everybody comes to the World Fair. Yeah. Everybody comes to San Francisco. It just didn't work yeah. out well. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, because it's in its own little building now. Like there's like a visitor right. center and it's got its own little thing where it is. So it's not well, not there in in the state house or anything anymore. Right. And that's because, you know, the National Park Service came to take it over in the 70s. Well, in the, after World War II, essentially. Yeah. Because during the 60s, it was the site of several protests for civil rights movements and for protesters opposing or supporting the Vietnam War, depending on the day of the week. Um, and the Park Service wanted to move the bell from the hall so that it would be easier to care for and so that you could accommodate visitors because people still really wanted to see this. Yeah. So they proposed that they move it out of Independence Hall because the building cannot accommodate people. And this is all part of the bicentennial um, in seven, in 1976. So they moved it so that they could anticipate more and more people. So they built a large glass tower for the bell and a new visitor center two blocks east, um, about $5 million. Well, that's what they wanted to do. And mm-hmm. people were like, no, that's not a good idea. <laughs> 
So instead, they proposed to build a smaller glass pavilion for the bell at the north end of the Independence Mall. And they finally were like, I guess, but can you just build it across the street? Um, That would be better. We don't want to destroy the view of the historic building. Like, just make this simple. Stop being so difficult. So that's what they did. Um, And during the bicentennial, members of the Procrastinators Club of America picketed the Whitechapel Bell Foundry with signs that says, we got a lemon. How about a warranty? (laughs) And the foundry was like, yeah, no problem. We'd be really happy to replace the bell because now 200 years later, we got jokes, right? Yeah. yeah. They said, yeah, we'll replace it. No problem. As long as you return it in the original packaging, we don't mind. In 1958, the foundry did offer to recast the bell, but they were told by the park service that it, they nor the public didn't want the the crack removed at this point. At this point, we've come too far. Um, the foundry, however, was called upon to cast a replica of the Liberty Bell that was presented to the U.S. by Queen Elizabeth II, and it was housed in the tower once intended for it um, on 3rd Street at the former nice. visitor center. So that's kind of cool, I guess. Well, maybe that one actually doesn't sound like crap. So Maybe. maybe they got their, their alloy in. mix right. But... Yeah. So we know today... The Liberty Bell weighs 2,080 pounds. Its metal is 70% copper and 25% tin, the rest being weird levels of lead, zinc, arsenic, gold, and silver. Mm-hmm. Who knows? It hangs from what's thought to be the original yoke that it came from, an American elm. The crack in the bell appears to end at the abbreviation Philida at the last line of the inscription. It's just widen the crack. Um and a hairline crack extending through the inside of the bell continues towards the right and moves towards the top of the bell. So it's there. It's a big yeah. end. Yep. In addition, yeah, I was to- surprised when I did see it. It's, you know, as always seems to be the case, it's a lot smaller than I thought it was going to be. See, this you is know? what I always figured it was going to be a smaller bell than it sounds like. Because, you know, you hear this 2000 pound bell and then I'm like this, you know, it's going to be this big old bell. And it's like, it's, it's there, but it's not. It's not huge or anything. It's just kind of, you know, it's a bell. Well, it's probably about the same size as the bells in Anderson yeah. Anderson Hall. Probably. Because I mean, those are about the same within 100 years of each other. Yeah. So in addition to the replicas that are seen at Independence National Historical Park, um, early replicas of the Liberty Bell include the Justice Bell or the Women's Liberty Bell. It was commissioned in 1915 by the suffragists to advocate for women's suffrage. Pretty much has the same legend as the Liberty Bell with two added words. So same inscription on it, only it was to establish justice instead of liberty. It also had the clapper chain to the bell, so it could not sound. Um, Only this wasn't because they were worried the bell was going to break. It was to symbolize the inability of women to influence political events. So... Mm. This bell toured ex- extensively to publicize the cause, um, which actually is quite interesting when you think about it, because like this is over a hundred years after the Liberty Bell was made. And now we have another bell that they recognize the importance of bells for this kind yeah. of work. So after the passage of the 19th Amendment, the Justice Bell was brought to the front of Independence Hall on August 26 of 1920 to finally sound. Um, and it hang- hung out on a platform there for several months before the city officials were like, take it away. We don't <laughs> want it anymore. 
So now it's at the Washington Memorial Chapel at Valley Forge, which feels weird. Hmm. Feels weird. So as part of the Liberty Bell Savings Bonds Drive in 1950, there were 55 replicas of the bell, one for each of the states, the districts of Columbia, and all the territories. Um, And they were ordered by the U.S. Department of the Treasury and were cast in France by the foundry Picard, which, you know, is interesting. Mm -hmm. We liked the French in the 50s, apparently. Because isn't that about the time Lady Liberty showed up? Uh, You said 1950s, right? Yeah, when did she show up? That she showed up in 1870s, I think. Mm, math is hard. At any rate, the bells were displayed and rung on patriotic occasions. Um, most of the bells are sited near state capitol buildings. Uh, Wisconsin's bell is now at its state capitol. Initially, it was at the girls' detention center. Yeah. <laughs> Texas has their bell inside the academic building on the campus of Texas A&M in University College Station. Um Okay. There's something about the Liberty Bell being housed in a prison that is hilarious. Uh, it's yeah, a honey. little alarming, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in 1950, they also made a version of it that was a little bit larger and slightly modified and baptized the Freedom Bell. Um, this one was cast in England and brought to the United States and toured the country as part of a crusade of freedom. And then they shipped it to Germany, installed it in the West Tower of Berlin City Hall. Hmm. So when um, Robert F. Kennedy visited in 1962 and then John F. Kennedy in 1963, they both drew this parallel between the Liberty Bell and the Freedom Bell and how, you know, it was important to the changing world. It was also on a commemorative coin in 1926, at any rate. The 150th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence in 1926, um, the U.S. Post Office issued a commemorative stamp depicting the Liberty Bell for the exposition in Philadelphia. And the stamp actually depicts the replica bell erected at the entrance of the exposition grounds, not at Liberty Hall. Because hmm. Chicago wanted that bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, otherwise, let's go down the rabbit hole just just a little little bit. Uh, Disney World has a replica of Liberty Bell in Liberty Square in the Magic Kingdom. It was a replica that was cast from the mold of the actual Liberty Bell because they mm-hmm. kept it. Um, so a large outline of the bell also hangs over the right field bleachers at Citizen Bank Park in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Oh, know where that is. This was a particularly fun one. Um April 1st of 1996, Taco Bell announced uh, yes. that they Taco purchased Ru- the Liberty Bell <laughs> yes. and had changed its name to the Taco Liberty Bell. Um, and so the Bell ads related would spend a half a year at Taco Bell headquarters in Irvine, California. And they apparently got so many pissed off phone calls <laughs> at the Independence <laughs> National Historical Park. That they were like, we did not sell the Liberty Bell. It is not <laughs> hanging out at Taco Bell. <laughs> it is just an April Fool's joke. Um, but this was a clever marketing scheme because they sold like half a million dollars in one week of tacos nice. at Taco Bell. Which I think is just ridiculous. Taco Bell has some good marketing schemes. They've hired good people in the past. Yeah. Uh We'll never forget the Taco Bell Chihuahua. So. I know. I love the Taco Bell Chihuahua. He was so <laughs> cute. 
We used to have our little stuffed animal of it that you'd squeeze and it would do its little, you know. Yikiro Taco Bell. Exactly. I definitely didn't have one of those, Well, <laughs> So here's a fun fact about Independence Hall. It once hosted the Supreme Court, the State House, and the Congress. So we had huh. the executive, judiciary, and legislature under one roof at one nice. point. Hmm. And they had the authority to create a federal district, district to serve as the national uh, capital. And they declared Philadelphia to be the temporary capital for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. After that, obviously, things changed. <laughs> but, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So that is the story of the Liberty Bell. Nice. Yeah. It's just one of those things that like, you know, growing up or whatever, I seemed like everybody had heard of the Liberty Bell, but like, you know, it seems so weird that it of all things became super famous. Like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a weird coincidence sort of thing of people making up stories and doing whatever to where this thing became famous when it had absolutely nothing to do with anything going on at the time. But I think that's the part that's so funny is it just has nothing to do with anything really. It just kind of existed parallel to history. Yeah. It's just like, if you took some random other decoration of like the Philadelphia hall and we're just like, it's the Liberty doorknob. Exactly. Uh, Display the doorknob that was there when whatever. And it it got, you know, at least that would be cool because it probably got touched by everybody in the state house on that day. When the bell no. didn't do shit. So it's it's interesting. No, I think a lot of people associate it with the like let freedom ring thought, but oh, honestly, yeah. I had no idea. I I didn't ever think of the Liberty Bell as being important until I saw the movie National Treasure. And even then yeah. I didn't understand why it was important. Yeah. It was important to the movie National Treasure. Yeah, and the fact really... that it's it's mostly famous for the crack now and not anything else. Like, it's, yes. it's this cracked bell. And you're like, okay. <laughs> so, and it's not even like they're using that as a symbol of, like, resilience or something. Yeah, it's so our big, our big symbol is this bell of liberty that's just always been shittily made and broken. <laughs> and like, I guess that's actually remarkably symbolic, but, you know. But no, it's not. It's just a weird thing that I don't get. I don't get yeah. it. Yeah. Well, that's cool. It's good to know. So, yeah, no, thanks for the topic. And thank you, everybody, for listening to us this week. As always, you know, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends about our podcast, and uh, we'll catch you all in a week. Bye-bye, folks. Bye. Don't look now.